0: If you have a Bible, I would highly suggest that you open up to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. If you have a pencil, I would suggest that you take notes on this passage of Scripture as we go through it. 1 Peter chapter 1, we will be looking at verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling by His blood. Precious, precious Father. I know that all things are possible through You and through Your Spirit. And Father, I pray that this morning, as in no other morning, that You will open our spirit and open our spiritual ears to the magnificent, amazing truths that the Apostle Peter under Your revelation has given us. Father, I pray that the feeble teacher that I am, that it is Your Spirit that will show us and enlighten us into these magnificent truths. Father, I know that You are here, and I know that this is a truth that we as the elect need to rest in to grab hold of and embrace. And Father, I pray that Your Spirit will open us and show us uh, the massive truths that You have shared with us here. In Your Son's precious name, Amen. Last week we began in verse by, a verse-by-verse verse study in the epistle of 1 Peter. Last week we looked at the man, uh, God's leader, the Apostle Peter. And we also looked at the time at which this letter was written. We've seen that it is written during the burning of Rome There shortly thereafter. And at that time, the Christians were blamed for de- the destruction of Rome. At that time, uh, in what is known as the Roman Empire, which encompassed from Spain uh, to North Africa and all of the areas surrounding it in Europe and Asia, the Middle East uh, was the Roman Empire. At that time, the Christians became under tremendous persecution beyond what we can perceive today. I give examples that I had found through history where Christians were being rolled in pitch and set on fire and used as living torches in Nero's garden parties. Uh, When you see the classic movies of the Christians in the lion's den and being thrown to lions and bulls, uh, it was during this time, the rule of Emperor Nero, that this was taking place. I shared with you last week a study on Peter, And how God chose him to be the leader of the disciples. We've seen how Peter was the only disciple to ever rebuke God our Lord. We've seen that Peter was the one who was praised beyond comprehension. For uh, knowledge and revelation that God had instilled in him. And we've seen how Peter, being the leader that he was, would stumble blindly into anything. And a lot of times would make mistakes. This passage that he deals with today shows that leadership. The Apostle Paul in Romans, the eight chapters he takes to develop the sovereignty of God. Peter does not in two verses. You see that the writings of the Apostle Paul, many, many, many times he has to validate what he is saying. He has to expound on it. You have to see he has to, av- to validate his Apostle credentials. Peter doesn't. Peter was the leader. Peter was the beginning of the church. Peter makes statement and people listened. With this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Peter wades chest deep into some of the greatest theology that Scripture has us. A Bible scholar named Arthur W. Pink who finished his race for the Lord in 1952, began to speak on the election of Christians. And I quote as he began his message. I am going to speak tonight on one of the most hated doctrines of the Bible, namely that of God's sovereign election. The reason that this doctrine is despised uh, sometimes taken out of context, and sometimes pastors don't even deal with it, is because of the fallenness of man. The fallenness of man is basic pride. And when you teach on the doctrine of election, you immediately pounce on man's pride. His fallenness will come from two points. One, pride is that there was something about me that God liked, and therefore He chose me. The other part is is that they will look at the doctrine of election and say, that's not fair. That means that God actually makes and has created some individuals for damnation. But I would share with you on fairness that when you take God and say, this is not fair, the first thing we need to remember is you have to take grace and put it aside. And if we all stand in fairness, then we are all condemned. So don't ever look at a holy, righteous, infinite God and say, is it fair? This message I would have entitled, The Elect. There are three points that we will look at tonight. I must encourage you. Uh, We have studied election and sovereignty a number of times in the past three years. Uh, Today, I am not going to share with you, it is 100% responsibility of man and 100% sovereignty of God. I am going to take today and share with you and conclude tonight on how this works. These two passages of scripture spell it out. And I pray that by the Holy Spirit, as I studied for this and prepared for this, the first time in my walk, God's sovereign election and man's responsibility became totally clear to me. Now, I'm not saying that to say if you walk out of here, it's not clear to you, and therefore I'm more spiritual. Uh, I have to share with you also that I spent 50 hours trying to figure out what this was trying to tell me. and and also tried to figure out how I could get by this passage of Scripture and just begin with verse 3. But I couldn't. Arthur Pink also said the only reason, and I quote, the only reason anyone believes in election is because he finds finds it taught in God's Word. No man or number of men originated this doctrine. And if you look at the fallenness of man, then you will understand this. As we study the elect, we see that it falls into three points, actually six points, but I will be in just three this morning. We see that there is the elect's nature, we see the elect's condition, and we also see the election's source. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia. This is the nature of the elect. Peter is writing to the scattered, to the strangers of the world. We are strangers. There are some theologians and some writers who teach that this passage of Scripture is dealing with the Jews. For in Galatians 2.7, Paul says that Peter is the apostle to the Jews. But as I studied through this, I had to come to the conclusion that he is writing to the church, to all believers, Jew and Gentile. The reason is, is in verse 17 of the same chapter, we see, Since you called on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as stranger in reverent fear. This is reference to your surroundings, not your culture. And when you think about that, there was the the dispersion, definite definite article, which spoke of the Jewish dispersion. When the Jews would be cast out of Jerusalem, cast out of Israel. At the time of the writing of this, it took place in 64 A.D. Uh, The burning of Rome was 63 A.D., I believe. And the Jerusalem was not overrun and dispersed until 70. That's when the temple was destroyed. But also... A little farther over in this epistle, chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and as strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. The Jewish dispersion dealt with your culture being scattered. Strangers and aliens here in this passage of Scripture is to abstain from the sinful desires that war against your soul, which is the world. Paul tells us that we are aliens. Our citizenship is not here. The Gospels teach us this. So I truly believe that we have been chosen out of the world. And Paul or Peter is writing to the church, to believers, those who have been set aside, the elect. Christians are aliens. We do not belong here. We do not intermingle with this society. We are here for a mission. God has chosen us, has set us aside, and has equipped us to fulfill this mission. But we are just strangers. And we have been chosen out of the world. We do not belong to this world. And when we study the 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, it says, if you love the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. So we've been chosen out of it. We are not part of this world. We see that we are chosen by God, God has chosen us. This is not new theology. Uh, Old Testament, as I took our wonderful little computer and said, chosen, find me everywhere in the Bible. Chosen is, um, I didn't list all of them today, but I do want to share with you a few verses. Uh, in Nehemiah 9.7, it said, God chose Abram. In Genesis 21.12, it said, God chose Isaac. In Romans 9, verses 8 and following, we see that God chose Jacob. We also see in Haggai that God chose Zerubbabel. We also see in Isaiah 42.1, as in 1 Peter 2.6, that God chose Christ. We see in John 15, Jesus said, you did not choose me, speaking to His disciples, but I chose you. We see in Galatians 1.15 that Jesus Christ chose Paul. We know that on the road to Damascus. And in 1 Peter 1.1 1. 1, we see that God chose the church. We also see in Ephesians 1.4 He chose us in Him, before the foundations of the earth, and in Second 2 Thessalonians 2.13, From the beginning, God chose you to be saved. In the military, if you get ready to go into the military, uh, they will ask you what your religious preference is. And you have a dog tag, and on there will be stated your religious preference. If someone were to ask you today what your religious preference was, what would your response be? Christian? Why not elect? I'm elect. Actually, in the Greek, it is chosen one. I'm God's choice one. Seems pretty arrogant, especially if the man asking you said, well, who chose you? God. When did God choose you? Before the beginning of time. That is the chosen one. We have got to keep in our mind that Peter is writing to Christians who are dying by the thousands. Who are being crushed merely for their faith. We hear of atrocities in this world today. But nothing comes close to how Satan tried to destroy the infant church in that first hundred years. You cannot comprehend what it was to be a Christian. The suffering that went on. And he is writing here to God's elect. You are God's chosen ones. We also see in Deuteronomy 7.6. God speaking. For you are a chosen people. Holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you. Out of all the people. on the face of the earth. He also says that again in Deuteronomy 14.2. But he was speaking to the nation of Israel. Do you realize what we see today in in the Middle East with the Palestinians and the Arabs? Well, basically the Arabs against the Jews. You know why that is? Because the Jews are God's chosen ones. They both worship Jehovah. But the Jews have that audacity to say, We're God's chosen. And the Arabs don't like that. That's why there will not be peace by a piece of paper in that land. And that is the main reason. But do you realize that that same status given to the nation of Israel is given to us as believers? Do you realize that? And if they hate the Jews for it, they will surely hate us for it. Matthew twenty four twenty two, Jesus speaking of the end times, tells us that the days will be cut short, or no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect they shall be shortened. In verse twenty four of the same chapter, false Christs and prophets appear, signs and miracles to deceive, try and deceive even the elect. In verse 31 of the same chapter of Matthew, And He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call and gather His elect. Do you know that that's us? Do you realize the power that is in that statement? Do you realize that when you walk out of here, you are God's choice one? You are chosen out of humanity to spend eternity with Christ in Luke 18:7 and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out speaking of the martyred christians and that power is so great that in Romans 8:33 who will bring any charge against God's elect probably one of the greatest and most comforting passages a child of God and elect can grab a hold of is in Colossians 3:12 Therefore as God's chosen people holy and dearly loved that's why he chose you because you are dearly loved Paul writing to a young pastor named Timothy In 2 Timothy 2.10, Timothy was dealing with some struggles of the young church and being despised and people coming against him. Paul says, There I endure everything for the sake of God's elect. Paul being stoned and left for dead, being beaten, being ostracized, being bitten by a poisonous snake, being taken to Rome in chains, and he says, I do it for the elect. How long have we been elect? Second Timothy 1.9 says, Who saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of His own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. I had an interesting, as I studied for this, I had an interesting article that I read, and uh, it was by a, a a pastor named Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. Even his enemies called him the Prince of Prince of Preachers, and he said in his book that when God had the ability to think. We were on His mind. How long has God been thinking? I don't know. long as I've been around. Since the foundations of the earth. And since He has had the ability to think. You who are chosen. You who are elect. Have been on His mind. In Revelations 13.8. Speaking of the Lamb's book of life. The names in that Lamb's book of life have been there since the foundations of the earth. Also, I want to share something with you. Election has its advantages. In Revelations 17:8, speaking of that time we call Armageddon, verse 8 begins, The beast which you saw once... "...once was, now is not, will come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because he once was, now, now is not, yet will come." But he continues on to verse 14, speaking of how the beast will come together, join the world. For what purpose? Verse 14, they will make war against the Lamb. But the Lamb will overcome because He is Lord of lords, King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. When sin is finally dealt with, we will be there. The called, the chosen, and the faithful. In the Jerusalem Council, Paul had gone to Jerusalem to speak with this man who writes this epistle, Peter, the Apostle Peter, to ask him about the Gentiles, and how Paul had re- or Peter had already reached Cornelius, who was a Gentile, and Peter begins speaking, and he makes decisions for the church, and in Acts fifteen fourteen. Simon has described to us how God at first showed His concern by taking from the Gentile a people for Himself. So God reached to the Gentile nation. And I am truly thankful because I'm not Jewish. And I'm glad He reached the Gentiles. In Matthew 20, our Lord speaking in parables... There is a tremendous parable there of the uh, landowner who has a vineyard and he goes out during the day, begins early in the morning, hiring workers for his vineyard for a denarii a day. He begins in the morning and he hires some people and they go and he sends them to the vineyard to work. He sends them to take care of his vineyard, take care of his plants. And as he goes... Through the course of the day, he finds more men, and he hires them for a denarii a day. And there are some men that he finds at the noon hour, and he hires them to work his vineyard for a denarii a day. And after the end of the day, you had men who were working in this vineyard for eight, ten hours, who made the same amount of money as the man who came in the late afternoon hours. This is God's sovereign election explained in a parable because verse 1 of chapter 20 says, For the kingdom of heaven is such as this. And he begins that parable. There are some of us who will fight a good fight, a long-enduring fight. There are some of us who may not fight a fight at all and may have a very short race, but yet the reward will be the same to all of the elect. John 15, he says, I chose you. You did not choose me. In the high priestly prayer that it is called in John 17, verse 9, I pray for them. I am not praying for those of the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. That is the prayer. Now then, do you have a problem with that? Does that kind of just get you and think, wait a minute. You mean he just picked me out and just out of no clear blue? I may be the only one in my whole family line that ends up there. Well, you're not the only one. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter four, we will begin at verse 18. Jesus has gone back, he's come from Capernaum, has done miracles and signs, and of course, if you're out doing miracles and signs, work gets around. So he has come back to Nazareth, the place of his birth, the place where his father raised him, the place that he worked probably in his father's workshop. He goes into the synagogue, which was his custom. And as he goes into the synagogue, he stood up to read, and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and beginning at verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent to me, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, Gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying today, saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They were asked. So far, so good. He comes in, he's doing miracles. He comes in, reads prophecy, says I've been anointed, chosen by God, and everybody says, "This is Joseph, the carpenter's son." Read on. Jesus said to them, "Surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what you have we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And I tell you the truth, He continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And I assure you, this is where it really goes downhill for Jesus. And I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy. In the time of Elijah, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. You know what that is? That's predestination. I have chosen. And when he shared that to the priests and the scribes of this synagogue, everything was fine as long as he's doing uh, reading scripture and doing miracles. But then he says, I tell you the truth. God's sovereign and God chooses. Read on. And all the people of the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, they took him to the, to the brow of a hill in which the town was built in order that they may throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. See, you're not the only one who struggles with this. There is that fallenness in humanity that says, "Wait a minute! You mean God just chooses certain people?" And that's what I tell you today: God just chooses certain people. In Acts 13, when the Gentile 46 through 48, this is what um, Paul and Barnabas are preaching. And when the Gentiles had heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life. Believed. If you are not appointed for eternal life, guess what? You don't believe. In Romans 9, this passage that we have heard when we studied and we probably remember very well. Paul, speaking of the sovereignty of God in verses 14 through 23, says, Is God just? Certainly. God says, I will have... Mercy on whom I have mercy, I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Is it fair? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. We are a fallen race. We are a fallen man. And yet, God is not. God does not know sin. God's ways are perfect. God cannot sin. God cannot contemplate sin. And His ways are the only way. We call that a bigot today. My way is the only way. But I would share with you that if you are chosen and you are elect, think of the power and think of what that means to you for your life now and for eternity. Sovereign grace. We are strangers. Our condition is that we are in an evil world. A world that despises us. Because we say our way is the only way. We say that no one can come to the Father except through the Son. And we say that God chooses. Remember the passage in Matthew? Matthew 7, I believe. When it says, many will call me Lord. We have done miracles in your name. We have prophesied in your name. We have cast out demons in your name. You know what he says? I don't know you. You are not elect. You know what that tells me? There are pastors. When you see prophesize or proclaim, there are pastors today. Who are standing at a pulpit probably this very hour, proclaiming the gospel, and will someday face their Lord and Savior, and He will say, "I never knew you. I never knew you." <clears throat> in Second Thessalonians two thirteen, Paul writing to the brothers in Thessalonica. But we ought always thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord from the beginning. God chose you to be saved through sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. This doctrine, this portion of salvation, is the greatest portion of salvation that a Christian can ever grab hold of. I mean that with all of my being and all of my soul. Because when you grab a hold of the fact that God chose you in eternity past, for no reason other than His divine will, it will absolutely destroy your pride. And pride is your biggest curse against God. Do you realize that? When you think that because I've memorized X number of verses... And when you think that I've been to this seminar and I've been to this program, I've been a Sunday school teacher since time began, and you realize that none of that really matters and that it was God's sovereign plan to choose you. How long ago? Long, long time ago. Before the foundations of the earth. Back when God first had the ability to think. You were on His mind. What more can you rest in? What more comfort can a child of God The elect draw upon. This doctrine of election. Of all the truths of salvation. May be the greatest. Because this doctrine of election says. God is in charge. Period. Absolutely in charge. But God is also gracious. Paul writes this to comfort persecuted Christians. Christians who were standing firmly on God and were dying for it. And our witness as we hear today, or our testimony as we hear today, should be not by what we say or not by what we do, but our witness, our testimony should be what we are. We're God's chosen. We're God's elect. We are chosen out. Our source of election, in verse 2, begins verse 2 of Peter, tremendous, tremendous statement. You have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge is dogmatically not foresight. I have heard this taught, and for a portion of my walk with Christ, I had in my mind that God knew the path that I would take, and He chose me according to the path that I would take. And He knew that I would be an elect by the, where I went through life. When you say that, you immediately say man is sovereign. You immediately say man gets the credit, and you immediately said man can seek after God. Because God's seen in the future, and he's seen the path that Terry Ball was going to take, and he knew exactly where he was going to go, and so therefore Terry Ball is going to be elect. Which means Terry Ball is sovereign, which means Terry Ball gets the credit because God knew that, you know, somewhere down the road I was going to be good enough, and it also means that I could seek after God. John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. 1 Corinthians 1, 29, he chose lowly things and despised things so that no one may boast before Him. Ephesians 2.9 Not by works so that no one can boast. In Romans 3.11 There is no one who understands. No one who seeks God. Man is not sovereign. Man does not understand. And man does not seek God. A human works salvation means that God is a victim of man's choice. It means that I chose you, and if you don't do this, I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me tell you something. God don't panic. God's got it all worked out, and He knows the hairs of your head. God is sovereign. God is in control of all things. God has ordained all things. In Isaiah 46, speaking to the prophet, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. I have made known the end from the beginning. From ancient times, what is still to come? Sounds like he's got it handled. We did not do anything for our election. It is not foresight. The word is progos in the Greek. We get the word prognosis from it. Amazing little word is progos. It is only used three times in Scripture. That's an amazing little word for Scripture. Foreknowledge is that's translated in some Bibles. Ordained it is translated in some Bibles. Three times, Peter uses it two times. Peter uses it two times in this epistle. Here he says, you have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. Is that foresight? Well, if it is, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20, he was foreknown before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for you. If it's foresight, then that means that God knew what Jesus was going to do. And He had seen what Jesus was going to do, and therefore He put His uh, power on Jesus. But then you go back and you say, in the beginning was the Word, and He was foreknown. Another time it is used in Acts 2.23, Acts 2.23, this Holy Spirit had come. It was Pentecost. The leader, the writer of this epistle stands before the people of Jerusalem and makes this statement. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. You know what that says? God knew. God had already pointed a path. Another interesting thing that I have, have come to see about this word, progos, is that being that in this translation it's only used three times in, in, in foreknowledge, but it is also used as the word new or known. Okay? Jeremiah 1 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This word foreknowledge, that you have been chosen by the foreknowledge of God, is in an intimate relationship. Cain knew his wife. That doesn't mean he knew her and she had a child. It means that he knew her. An intimate relationship. We have been chosen with an intimate relationship with God. In Amos three two, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Intimate relationship. Exodus thirty three seventeen. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I, I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. In Matthew seven twenty three, Jesus said, I never knew you. Speaking of the false prophets and those who profess to be Christians. And it's not that He doesn't know them. God knows all of us. Even those who are not chosen. But it says, I never had an intimate relationship with you. Our Lord speaking in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. Predetermined relationship means a predetermined plan. That is the foreknowledge of God. God knew. God knew before He created the world in six days and the universe and the oceans and the animals. He knew me. That's mind-boggling. That is the love that our Lord has. God knew. He ordained it. This is the source of our Election, everything in the universe that exists because God has allowed it, God has willed it, God has thought it into existence. What about sin? He allowed it. No problem. Why? I don't know. Bible doesn't say. I can tell you what the theologians say. But that's not what I've been called to. God does not know it by observing. God does not know it by hoping and helping. God knows it because He created it, because He willed it, and it is His to control. That is foreknowledge. It is God's will. It is God's foreknowledge. It is God's decision. I will have mercy on those that I have mercy. I will have compassion on those I have compassion. Peter is writing to a persecuted group of people beyond our comprehension. And Peter starts right off the bat saying, The world hates you. The world despises you. The world doesn't want to be economically involved with you. The world wants to take you and crush you. The world wants to make a martyr of you. The world wants to make trash of you. The world wants to destroy you, rub you off the face of the planet. You know how he starts his argument? You're God's elect. You're God's chosen ones. Period. God chose you by the foreknowledge. God knew you in eternity past. God knew you before the foundations of the earth. God predestined you and guided you. And here you are. And praise God that you're there. That's how Paul, Peter starts this right. God wills it. And it is done. I will touch on something briefly and I will expound on it tomorrow tonight. And that's why I would encourage you to be back. Alright, where does man's will fit into this? You go back to Genesis and you see that we were created in the image of God. Okay? God is not flesh and bones and doesn't have blonde hair, blue eyes, or brown hair, blue eyes, or hands, fingers, or things like that. So, what is the comment that is made? And we've all heard it. We were created with a free will. That's like God's. I tell you today, you do not have a free will since the garden. Adam and Eve were created with a free will and they exercised it to its fullest. And you have not had a free will since that time. You are either a slave to sin or a bondservant to righteousness. I will expound on this more tonight. I, will, I pray that you will be back. Uh, I would encourage you as brothers and sisters. Because when you get a handle on the fact. That there is nothing you can do. There is nothing any man, woman or child. Can do to earn salvation. And that God has known you. Since the beginning of time. Since the foundations of the earth. There is no more power. No more humbling thing. That a man or a woman can ever grab a hold of. It is not by works. It is not by what you know or don't know. It is by God. And it is His choice. Let's pray. Gracious, gracious Father. Lord Almighty. Father, as I uh, continue to search your scriptures and And allow you to guide me, Father, I I just rejoice time in and time out at the tremendous truth that you offer us. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit and by your written word that is sharper than a two-edged sword and knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart and the mind, that, Father, by these powers, you will show us what it means to be your elect. Father, I pray that we never take this for granted. And Father, realizing that it has its privileges. And Father, realize the blessings that you instill in our hearts. Knowing that somewhere long, long ago, you chose us. Father, I praise you for the work of the cross. I praise you for your Holy Spirit. I praise you for your written word. And Father, I just pray That today we can get an understanding of what it means to be elect. And Father, I pray that they will realize that it is nothing that man has done, can do, or could do. Father, I pray that we realize that we are in a covenant that you have called us to. We have been set aside. We have been ordained. A royal priesthood. And that, Father, we will work, walk worthy of our calling. And we will rest on the assurances that you will complete in us the work that you have called us to, to perfection. Father, I give you the praise and the honor and gratitude for the opportunity to study as you have offered it. And, Father, I pray that each of us will be instilled with a hunger to understand more about your truth. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. And I pray you will be glorified in our lives in this study. And I pray that we will continue to seek after you as uh, the true good shepherd. Father, we pray these things in your son's precious name. Amen.